and gentlemen, welcome back to your favourite new podcast. It's Sequel Pitch, the podcast where four <laughs> film-loving friends test the limits of their friendship by having a competition to see who can come up with the best sequel to a film that doesn't have one. My name is Andy Henry, and the Cowboys joining me back in time this week are the XL Viking oh, no. Buckaroo Matt Rushton. Hello. Up next, it's Rootin' Tootin' Drew Toynbee. Uh, yeehaw. <laughs> And lastly, <laughs> cow puncher Ross Harmston. Yeah, I'm going to punch some cows. If you got a cow, I'm going to punch them. Or oh, I'm going to rustle them. I don't really care what I'm going to do to your cows, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> cow puncher. Cow puncher uh, and buckaroo are names for cowboys, apparently, according to Google. Yeah. So. That's what my Red Dead 2 character's called, cow puncher. <laughs> cow puncher Ross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lovely. So this week we watched the uh, Will Smith, Kevin Klein, and Kenneth Branagh 1999 action comedy western flop, Wild Wild West. Before we go on um, to get uh, everyone's thoughts, for anyone who hasn't seen the movie, and how dare you if you haven't, let's have a quick synopsis so you know what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's 1869, four years after the end of the American Civil War, and gun-blazing U.S. Army Captain James West, played by Will Smith, meets kooky inventor and master of disguise, U.S. Marshal Artemis Gordon, played by Kevin Kline. And together they are put on a dangerous mission by U.S. President Ulysses S. Grant, also played by Kline, where they must hunt for ex-Confederate General Bloodbath McGrath, who was responsible for killing West's parents and is believed to be responsible for the disappearances of America's key scientists and to be working on a treasonous plot. West and Gordon examine the severed head of a decapitated scientist from the opening scene and finds a clue which leads them to the evil genius... Dr. Arliss Loveless, played by Kenneth Branagh, ex-Confederate officer who lost his legs in the war. Sneaking onto Loveless's plantation during a party, the two rescue a woman named Rita Escobar, played by Salma Hayek, and she asks for her help in rescuing her father, one of the kidnapped scientists. Loveless holds a demonstration of his newest weapon, a steam-powered tank, and angers McGrath by using his soldiers as target practice, accusing McGrath of betrayal for surrendering in the Civil War. Loveless shoots and leaves them for dead. Gordon and West find the dying McGrath and tells him who tells him he is framed by Loveless for the massacre which killed West's parents. We have a scene where West and Gordon try to infiltrate Loveless's tank, but a misunderstanding happens and Rita accidentally releases sleeping gas, which knocks out West, Gordon and herself. West and Gordon wake up to Loveless saying he has Rita as a hostage, and he's on his way to capture the president. West says they have been fitted with the same device that was found in the, on the decapitated scientist from the opening, and Gordon says it's a magnet, and if they leave the area they're in, a machine will send a spinning disc that will be attracted to the metal device and slice their heads off. And guess what? They leave. After a hilarious scene in which the pair survive the death magnets, the two have a nice night in front of the fire where they see a desert wasp attack and lay its eggs in a tarantula. The next morning in Spider Canyon, we realised why this movie took so long to get greenlit. Loveless riding a gigantic metal spider. <laughs> Loveless goes on to capture the president and Gordon, who has impersonated the president at the time, as West tries to infiltrate the spider, but he's shot in the chest, falls off the spider and left the dead. Loveless tells the president his plan to dissolve the United States, but President Grant refuses to surrender. So Loveless orders Gordon to be executed. Before he's shot, West, having survived both the shot and the fall somehow, disguises himself as a belly dancer and distracts, him, distracts Loveless, uh, allowing Gordon to free the captives. However, things don't go to plan and Loveless kidnaps the present and escapes on his mechanical spider. West and Gordon meet and say they know how they can take down a spider. They fit wings to a bike and ride off a cliff to create the Air Gordon flying machine. When they catch up to the spider, they battle the henchmen before West confronts Loveless who is now on mechanical legs. As the giant spider approaches the cliff, Loveless shoots at West with a concealed gun but misses and hits the spider's machinery instead, halting it abruptly at Canyon's edge. 
Both West and Loveless fall off the spider, but West survives by catching a chain which he used to kill and hang a, an earlier goon. When the dust settles, Preston Grant uh, promotes Golden and West as the first agents of the new, the new United States Secret Service, and we find out Rita has been lying this whole time. Uh, the man she claims to be her father is actually her husband. The movie ends with West and Gordon riding off into the sunset on the giant spider. Uh, so let's start by let's start the podcast by going to the end of the movie. What was the best part of this film? The end song. <laughs> I think it's when the credits roll is my favourite bit of that film. Um, uh, I, it's weird watching this film. When I was watching it and I was messaging the guys, I was like, "Oh, it's actually all right. You know, it's not too bad." <laughs> and then on reflection, I'm like, "Actually." No, no, it was awful. Yeah. And, like, the belly dancing bit that you just reminded me of, I was like, yeah. oh, my oh, God. Yeah, forget about that. <laughs> and then, like, just just the the it's it's uh, the jokes are constant. Is it, it, when did it come out again? When did this 99. come out? 99. Yeah, this feels like a 99 film. Um, it's all, like, jokes about, ooh, ooh, jokes about ladies or bums or boobs. Well, oh, the breast yeah, scene, yeah, when they're yeah. trying to figure out the best... About what? Twenty percent <laughs> of the jokes in this movie are centered around men dressed up as women. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is like that is a significant portion of <laughs> the funny of the film. It yeah. is just <laughs> look at that man; he's wearing a dress. Yeah, yeah. How wild is that? Are you crazy? Which even for the nineties surely must have well obviously people did find it lazy because people did not like this movie no. well um, apparently this movie went under cost reshoots in attempt to inject some humor because audience didn't find it funny at first oh mm, stupid man. audience what do they know <laughs> i wonder if that was <laughs> in know? the movie already or they went i've got a good idea how to make yeah. this funny. But it's it's interesting ross that you found it that you kind of you were okay with it while you're watching it because i i kind of agree aside from some really really bad ableist and racist Mm -hmm. jokes which none of us are Mm -hmm. from an ethnic minority nor are any of us um, nor are any of us disabled so it's not our place to talk about that particularly but it's not good but generally speaking the charisma of the cast carries this film so far and in the moment you're like yeah Will Smith is charming yeah. and funny, and Kevin Klein, Kevin Klein can deliver a dry comic line really well. Sam Hayek is great in this film. I mean, Ken Ken Branagh is is just <laughs> another kettle oh, of fish. Wow. Yeah, he hated then, this self-professed worst American accent ever. Yeah, he's gone on. Bless him. <laughs> he wasn't. Wait, you said he didn't like it. No one liked mm, this. Everyone, he... everyone in the cast, Barry Sonnefeld and half the staff of Warner Brothers hate this movie. After post-production, Warner Brothers had already given up on the movie, considering it the black sheep of the family. <laughs> it was Jesus. so bad, basically no one wanted to work on it. But they were like, oh, guess I have to. Yeah. Do you think that was before or after the giant mechanical spider? <laughs> oh, the spider <laughs> was in it all the way from what I mean. I know he wouldn't make the fight. He wouldn't make the film without the spider. Yeah, John, the the producer, the the famous the famous Kevin Smith story about his Superman script and this producer John <laughs> Peters insisting on having Superman fight a giant spider 
and they never made that movie and then Kevin Smith went to see World Wild West produced by the same man and was like oh fuck there's, there's the giant spider it's back <laughs> um, oh there it is <laughs> It, it starts off I, when I started watching it I was like this this is starting off weird anyway with like Will Smith in a water tank yeah, and it has a bed in it and shelves that he puts candles in I'm like what? Yeah, and that's where he makes love to ladies in a water tank um, and yeah it's that, it's that joke isn't it which I use in my uh, pitch by the way uh it's that he's a ladies man oh he's a ladies man um but yeah i thought it after it you just you just forget it like it's a forgettable sort of thing you're like well, i don't really know what happened after yeah that. the most rememberable bit is the giant spider apart from that it's got some mu- action and the music bits and the, the, the song even though yeah, that's the, not even the in song. the song the song even great. though that's not until the end of the film um <laughs> Yeah, the song is great. The song is the song is just fantastic. Matt, it's you've Pete been really quiet. Why are you not <laughs> ripping this film apart? Because we know you loved it. Matt okay. secretly loves it. Yeah, because I mean, I, admit, I, I have it. a soft spot for this movie. I kind of like it. <laughs> I okay. Well, yeah. Let Matt tell us how much he hates it. Never allow a soft spot for this movie. <laughs> Matt will never memorable. allow Andy. Matt will never let Andy pick another film ever again. Uh, <laughs> if if uh, another movie like this is picked, I may need to be on vacation that week. <laughs> um, why, Matt? Why, What's Matt? going on? There's why only did, there's it? only one memorable aspect about this film, yeah. and for me, it is the fact that they've tried. Basically, they've used the fact that it's a Western homage, dark comedy, whatever they want to call it. They've basically used that as a cover for the fact that it's the most lazy, racist, ableist piece of trash I've watched in recent history. Like, nothing about it is okay. Because, you know what? They don't even try to make it obvious sometimes. And this is the bit that kind of pisses me off about it, is that they're over the top when it's the mechanical spider and all their special effects... But they're just plain lazy in the fact that they go, oh, because we're doing a Western, we're going to reference to the fact that you're the only black person in this cast. And, oh, we're going to use the fact that you're in a wheelchair and you lost your legs fighting for your country. You know, it's just tedious. And I had to sit through two hours of it. It doesn't even happen (laughs) once. There's one point where they blatantly reference one of the darkest periods in American history. And they use it as a scapegoat for another man to sneak behind the crowds that are stood there with basically pitchforks and nooses <laughs> and burning torches ready yeah. to have it out with Will Smith. And that is used as a play. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Regardless, if this is some kind of accurate historical reference, it doesn't fall well for me. In 2020, it really doesn't fall well. As a kid, when I didn't understand it, it might have been kind of lol because I didn't know what I was laughing at. But now I found it really uncomfortable. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, when you're yeah, when you're making a joke uh, and you're making a comedy scene in where a guy's gonna be lynched like that, that's not that's not clever. That that is a bad look. Yeah, that is that is a bad scene. And yeah, I I'm surprised. Well, I I assume most of the act, like Andy said, didn't want to be there or hated the film even 
after it was released and stuff. I I imagine Will Smith hates it. Yeah, um, yeah he's still apologising um, for it today. Yeah. Well, it was based on a TV series. I don't know if anyone knew. Um, and yes, the no. the actor in the TV series went to the Razzies because they got like twenty Razzies. And apparently, he collected like most of them and then delivered them personally to like Will Smith <laughs> and Kevin Klein. He's like, you fucking know. Fuck yeah. You. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, they also don't treat women very well. There's what two women in the film? One's in the the wow. scene where people come out of the pictures, which is pretty good. And then you got Salma Hayek, who yeah, there's Miss East. Can yeah. we just take and... a moment to reference the women's names? You've got Munisha, the arms woman. You've mm. got what's the name? Lippenreader. <laughs> Miss, Miss Lippenreader. <laughs> the, the person that just happens to be able to read people's lips. Yeah. Like, well, that is ridiculous. The right. thing is, the the TV show was it came on air when spy TV shows like Mission Impossible and um, and the Saint and things were were the were all the rage. Maybe not the Saint. Maybe the Saint's a bit later. I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure. But it was basically pitched as spies but cowboys Mm -hmm. and so those sort of literal names for all the women is probably a callback to like bond it's it's that's classic like roger moore bond in fact it's it's classic pierce brosnan bond yeah yeah um but again it's just the film is uh it just it, it it's it's clearly these reshoots where they tried to add extra comedy and it just went way too far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just went way, way too far over the top. And and you have these scenes where they're talking about freed slaves being massacred and using the backdrop of the Civil War, of the fight to end slavery, as the backdrop for a comedy. But the, but the comedy kind of lets... It, it also... This, this bugged me... They let the Confederate soldiers off the hook. They slaughter all the Confederate soldiers and say it was all loveless all along. And it's like, well, no, these people, these people fought to uphold slavery. Don't give them an out. Don't be like, oh no, 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 it was all just this one dude. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, yeah, that really bugged me. You know what? Like, I'm just, I'm gonna throw it out there now that I feel like. And I never encourage this, but perhaps what they needed to do was take race out of the casting in this one. And, mm. Oh yeah, you know Just... the original TV series Jim was Jim West was played, I believe, by a Caucasian male. So yeah. Yeah. the fact that they brought Will Smith in, and then the main reason they brought Will Smith in was to bring the colour of one's skin into it. It just became such a pointless well, movement. But that's yeah. the thing. They it it wasn't a the film isn't about the the fact that he's black isn't it's referenced a lot, but it's not thematically relevant to the movie. It's just they got Will Smith who at that point was pretty much one of the biggest stars on the planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're like, right, oh yeah, he's signed on. Fantastic. He's the star power. And so they had to they couldn't have him be a cowboy without referencing the fact that he was black. Yeah. But then it doesn't go far enough. And so and so they're just like, oh oh what what happened to black people in that time? Oh lynchings. Okay, yeah, stick that in. Good. Great. Um people call him boy a lot. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Put that in. That's good. That's great. Yeah. And and it it's 
the flavour sprinkled on top of the film is people being racist to Will Smith, but it's not actually commented on particularly. There's one reference of freed slaves being killed. Yeah, it's it's a poor movie. Yeah. Let's wrap this up. Anyway, um, any favourite moments? Because we've got a lot of bad ones. Uh, I would say my 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 best bits of the film are the actual performances of Will Smith and Kevin Klein. I think indeed. Uh, and uh, Selma Hayek. Yeah, and Selma Hayek. And well, what was the guy McGrath called again? What's his name? The actor's uh, name? Ted Levine. Ted Levine. I think those are good. Kenneth Branagh. He's doing his best like theatre <laughs> acting in that. Like he, he's definitely, you can tell he's a theatre actor because he is literally theatre acting his heart out yeah. in that film. <laughs> I mean, with, film. with facial hair <laughs> like that, you have to give yeah. a certain theatre performance. <laughs> so I think the performances my, for myself are the standout moments for me. I, I would also say fair play to the CG, fair play to the VFX artists mm-hmm. who worked on this film because the effects are really strong. You look at... Um, Ken Branner in that wheelchair where he is missing from like his belly button down yeah. and you cannot see where they've gone through and rotoscoped him out and painted over and put the background in it's flawless there's well, so he was, much uh, he's kneeling that's what I've read yeah but they still have painted out something underneath it's like it, it's his belly button and then it's like three or four inches he would definitely be coming out underneath it and they've painted that out and it's flawless and the spider looks good. It's amazing. Alright then boys, um, what's your scores out of five then? It's, it's quite clear we don't quite like this movie and we should probably move on. So uh, let's start with you, Matt, <laughs> out of five. I'm going to give this one Will Smith testicle out of five. You do see a bit of a dangler at the yeah. beginning. See, yeah. between his legs, I was like, oh gosh, this must be a 15 <laughs> or an 18 then. No, it was a 12. <laughs> wow, one. Okay, one. Uh, let's go Drew next. What you got? I am, I'm feeling charitable, um, and so I will give it two. No, I'll give it 1.75 ear trumpets dripping earwax onto your shoulder. <laughs> What? Any reason what? it lost that point two five? Because it, it's it, it is just not good. But as as pointed out, there is there are some really charismatic performances, and there's some impressive CG. But I could not. Re- I I and so I want to recognise that whilst also firmly stating I would not recon- uh, recommend this film to really anyone. <laughs> and finally Ross what we got I am going to give it a one uh, sex water tank out of uh, five purely because of the uh, performances they're the thing that um, holds holds the film together and you're like oh actually the camera the 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 what do you call it the the bloody friend the the bloody charisma between um uh, will smith and kevin klein is really good and you can tell that they enjoyed well i say they enjoyed each other's company maybe on set <laughs> like you bo- you band together when something's really shit don't you so you can tell that they probably band together and gone yeah this is shit isn't yeah. it yeah, yeah so yeah one out of five for me i mean for me this is a guilty pleasure I remember watching it as a kid and it was stupid then, it's stupid now for every reason that's been pointed up 
But um, I do I do like it. It's weird because I'm going to give it a two, which is normally not a recommend, but because it's a guilty pleasure, I guess I'd be like, yeah, yeah, give it a go. Uh, so there, two. We got a one. We got two ones, a one point seven five, and a two, um, which comes out at an average score, our lowest scored movie. Thank God, um, at one point four three seven five. Okay, let's get on these pictures. All right, boys, you know the deal by now. You see the pictures. I ask the questions, and afterwards I open it up so I can hear your ideas about the uh, everyone else's pictures. I flipped a coin before the podcast, and today we're going to start with Ross. Oh, hello. Um, okay, so this is uh, my pitch for Wild Wild West 2, Wild No More. Um, okay, so but just a precursor to this before for the listeners. I did so much research in this. So much research was done in this pitch, but like... Yeah, we'll I'll t- explain it near the end. Okay, so here we go. It's 1900, 31 years after the events of the first movie. We see an urban city and the words Little Rock, Arkansas. This is a mixture of horses and carts and an occasional automobile. The camera focuses on, on a bank, cuts to inside, and we see a, a large lady waiting in the queue at the bank. And all of a sudden, five men brandishing pistols enter. They demand everyone get on the floor. Everyone but the woman does. They approach her. Uh, her face is obscured by a black veil. Um, they remove it. And after some pithy dialogue, the woman suddenly drops her voice. And we see it's Artemis Gordon in disguise. He brandishes a secret pistol from his wrist, but it malfunctioned and doesn't work. They knock him to the ground and Gordon says, Don't worry, there's always a backup plan. I don't know why he's British. Um... <laughs> He flinches and waits for something that doesn't come. He looks to the window expecting something. The robbers laugh and start stealing the money. We then pan outside the bank across the street to a hotel. There is a sniper rifle propped up against the wall. We are then introduced to Jim West in a bed with a lady. Uh, He hears the commotion outside and looks at the other robbers. uh, And looks at the robbers uh, that are making... Uh, away with the money and Gordon he hurriedly puts his clothes on and the woman says how are you going to catch them in a car he quips I've got horsepower Um, and he jumps off the side and rides on horseback we then um we then have a 10 minute chase scene in which West and Gordon have to stop these robbers getting away the, with the large quantity of money. They successfully stop them and they're uh, thanked by the local lawman. The two exchange banter about it being much harder being a secret serviceman now that they, uh, and that they need to retire. They then get a phone call that says they are needed in the White House urgently. They travel to the White House and we have a scene in which they go past a portrait of President Grant and reminisce because he's dead. Uh, They are ushered into the Oval Office. It's President William McKinley. He congratulates them on their recent job and establishes the world and how it's changed. That there's no more Wild West and that he wants the boys to accompany him to a celebration on the success of his second term, which is factually accurate. (laughs) Uh, He is then interrupted by the vice president, Teddy Roosevelt. He introduces him to the men and they leave. 
Cut to the party. Jim is taking, uh, talking to a lady, trying to chat her up, and Artemis is showing off a new invention to some guests. Uh, the president starts to make an announcement, and as he is thanking them for being there, we hear a gunshot, and the president falls over. Artemis rushes over, and he sees the life drain from his face. He dies, Whoa. which he did. Um, Jim tries to find where the shot comes from. He runs outside and has a rooftop chase, but uh, loses him and falls through the ceiling and lands in a moving picture house. He sees a train rushing towards him and he <laughs> screams. Then he realizes it, it's uh, uh, just a film and he tries to act real cool and leaves the building. Uh, as he leaves, he finds something that the assailant has dropped. It's a pamphlet for a meeting for veterans of, the wound, uh, veterans of Wounded Knee that's happening tomorrow. Yeah, I know, Drew. I read yours after, oh, and I realised. Right. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> the next—it's right. Mine's probably not going to be anyway. <laughs> the next day, they are sworn into the Oval Office. Teddy Roosevelt, the now president, is there and tells them that they have to find this man. We're near the end. Uh, <clears throat> they head in. Uh, they head to the morgue the next day, and the assailant is on stage and announces himself as Captain Flanders. He tells them the harrowing story of what happened uh, to him at Wounded Knee. The, uh, we see that he's missing one eye. He notices Jim and Artemis and have some dialogue with them. Uh, he then tries to convince the other veterans that these two are the enemy because they work for the government. And the government is what got the, all his men killed. Uh, all the veterans turn to Jim. Uh, all the veterans turn on Jim and Artemis. Uh, they try and quip their way out of it but immediately are in a bar fight with all of them. The assailant runs out the back and Jim and Artemis follow. We then have a 30-minute chase scene and it leads them out of town. Captain Flanders shoots both of their horses and they are now stuck in the middle of nowhere, but they come across two brothers working on a contraption. It's some sort of flying machine. <laughs> um, they ask... They ask... <laughs> they ask who they are and they retort, We're the right brothers. Um... Jim punches them in the face and steals their <laughs> contraption. They catch up to Flanders, who now has got back up, and, and an autumn and, and, and an armoured automobile. Jim drops down onto the car, fights Flanders with Ar whilst Artemis takes care of the backup. Artemis sees they are heading for a ravine and quickly, quickly swoops down to pick up Jim. Flanders falls to his death. Jim says thanks. This is much better than your flying. This is much better than your flying thing. Artemis drops him in some horse poo. <coughs> Cut to the president giving them some praise and some medals. The end. <laughs> all right. Very nice. All right. Not bad. Not bad. That um, was all of that stuff yeah. actually happened in real life. Pre president McKinley got shot, and he died later of his wounds. So you got factually accurate uh, stuff. I'll there. take that on board. Thank you. Thank you very much. There you go. Um, <clears throat> can you go more into the relationship of West and Gordon? Because I'm not feeling much development from the first. It feels like Gordon's, uh, Gordon's kind of been a, a bit of a side character while Jim West is still kind of the main lead. Nah, there's like scenes where they're doing when they're talking, when they're talking about each other. Like in the party uh, party scene, there's going to be some dialogue between them. And I've said that um, in their first, um, when they capture those guys from the bank, he they have a they talk after they captured them, and they say how it's harder now because uh, they're much older. Because if this is this is thirty years later, so they're going to be about 
like 50 or like 60 um so they talk about how it's much harder nowadays um and that like that they should probably retire basically they're getting too old for this shit (laughs) yeah basically sort of lending on that whole lethal weapon like i'm getting too old for this shit yeah sort (laughs) of thing um and there's there's other scenes where you can put some more like of their because they're now if you think about it they've been working for 30 years so they're not going to be so they're like they they know each other uh he and they but they still have that thing where jim west always disappoints um artemis uh and and vice versa as well um because <laughs> you still got to have that jovial banter that they have from the first one no women um, Do not believe women deserve to be in cinema? Whoa, 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 whoa. You're just throwing that in my film. No way did I ever say that. I just haven't put a, a lady in it. Maybe uh, there is two ladies that Jim West is cracking onto, but unfortunately, there is no. I mean, come on. I'm not saying. I just didn't, onto. That just immediately that, uh, changes <laughs> his pitch because he realizes no, I didn't. I didn't put any women models. in it. No, you're right. I should have, but I didn't. So, oh well. <laughs> uh, unexpectedly, as well. Yeah. Um, What's all that about? Oompa Loompa sex, and now he cares about fucking hey, hey. women in When you're films. pitching and hosting, you're you're different. You're different. <laughs> oh man. Good point. Yeah, how many women were in your Charlie reboot? <laughs> Jeez, yeah. oh, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> All right, anyway, go on, Carol. All right, last one, last one. Uh, a 30 minute yeah. chase scene. Yeah, 30 minutes. Pad it out. <laughs> Anything happening in that, that, in, it? in that scene? Is like little well, no, stories like happening? Matt or said it last week. Like Matt said last week, oh, it's, it's a sequel pitch. It's not a screenwriting pitch. I don't have to write every scene. So there will be some, there'll be some like chasing. There'll be some things where maybe, uh, you know, Jim West will land on someone's lap in a, in a carriage and it'll be a man and he'll go, good heavens. And he'll go, sorry. And then he'll jump onto another horse. And then there you go. I'm spitballing. Yeah, there you set, go. There's a, do you want to point stuff. out though that Ma- I didn't Matt Max win Fury last week, Road so is, is the one best long thing to be chase, like, well, Matt can do that in his pitch. If, if yeah, the stunts so, were good uh, enough. People would yeah, accept exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> 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 so yeah, there you go. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Uh, let's move on to Drew, please. Hello. Kick us off. All right. Um, mine is titled "The Wild Wild West." Um, following in in the um, the footsteps of films like The Predator, um, just just because it was it was so we've got Wild Wild West and nice. The Wild Wild West. Yeah, it was going to be Wildest Wild West, but then I I hated that so much more, so I went with The <laughs> Wild Wild West. Um, so we open on a snowy city, and on screen it says Pierre, South Dakota, January eighteen ninety one. Secret Service agent Frank Harper, played by Zac Efron, is cool, calm and kick-ass, fighting like Jim West and using gadgets like Artemis Gordon, when we see him following then taking on a warehouse full of bad guys. But then he is shot in the back by Mark Strong, whose identity in the film we don't know yet. 
His protege, Frank's protege, a Native American woman named Matilda Galpin, played by Blue Hunt from the New Mutants movie, um, finds him just before he dies. He tells her that she can't trust anyone. She stands holding his hat and then titles on screen, The Wild Wild West. Matilda then goes on the road to find the only people she can trust, Frank's mentors, Jim West and Artemis Gordon. She finds Jim, of course played by Will Smith, living a normal, upstanding life and incredibly bored, craving danger. When he catches her breaking into his farm, he quickly agrees to join her because he wants the excitement and she's disappointed not to be able to use the speech she prepared to get him to come along. Um, I see a bit of banter there. Um... Then going on to find Artemis, he's running his own Shakespeare troupe, which again, with Jim being on the on the farm, these are both things from the TV show, apparently. Um, they arrive at the Shakespeare troupe during a play and all of the characters are wearing such heavy prosthetics. They're sat there trying to work out which one of them is going to be Gordon. And then, of course, it turns out that actually he's sat behind them as the director, sort of overseeing all the pyrotechnics and things happening on stage. Um, he meets them. It's a little bit frosty between Jim and Artie, but they all go off and grab a drink, and now Matilda can give the exposition. Basically, Frank had been investigating the massacre of a large group of Native Americans who, uh, while they were in the process of being moved off of their land. He found evidence implicating a man called Barkley Moore, who's this big British tycoon in the massacre. Um, it's even more personal for Matilda because she's Native American, um, but had been raised by a sort of a frontier family who took her in when she was found wandering alone as a small child, and that was what allowed her to get into the Secret Service and be able to try to progress up the ranks. Um, Harper obviously lost his life because of the investigation, but Matilda went to the only people she knew that he would trust, Jim and Artie. From here, they go to Washington, D.C. Matilda wants to investigate Barclay's offices further, but West and Gordon want to go to the higher-ups at the Secret Service to find out what's going on, specifically their old friend Deputy Director Lowndes. Matilda tells them that they shouldn't go. She's AWOL, they can't mention her. Frank said not to trust anyone, but they go without her, and she's angry, so she goes to investigate Barclay. Um, the following two sequences are kind of intercut. There's West and Gordon discussing Matilda while they're, while they're travelling to the Secret Service headquarters, um, basically sort of referencing the stereotypes at the time, but then showing Matilda using those stereotypes to her advantage um, to kind of trick her way into the inner sanctum of Moore's offices. Um, but then they also mention, you know, remember Rita, we've been tricked before. Um, Matilda gets cornered after she finds incriminating documents. Barclay Moore arrives, it's Michael Gambon, I think it has to be Michael Gambon because he's so good at playing like horrible baddies um he questions her and you you have his thesis statement which is that the natives are savages they don't deserve what was on the land the white men deserves it deserve it he leaves her to be killed um but then she pulls out all the moves that she learned from frank that he learned from jim and Artie, using all the gadgets fighting her way out and she escapes um, but meanwhile, while that's happening, we see Jim and Artie meeting Deputy Director Lowndes, and it's Mark Strong. Ooh, he's in on it. Um, they talk about Harper, but he doesn't help them. He says that he doesn't know anything. He's a bit dismissive, and then says he has business out of state and he has to go. Um, and they are both immediately suspicious, and when they get back and talk to Matilda, they're like, yep, we know he's lying. He's got to be involved. Um, what next? Matilda has the information that she stole and they have to go to South Dakota. There is information being held in a gold mine that was on land belonging to the massacred tribe. 
Um, West says, it's a shame that they don't still have that giant spider as it might come in handy. And Artie's like, you know that thing was too dangerous for anyone to possess. But I'm sure that between us, we can think of something. West says, we need to get to South Dakota fast. I know, just how to go to. And then cut to the gang on the Wanderer train again. You have Marshall Coleman driving from the first film and that actor, M. Emmett Walsh, is still alive and still acting. Um, and he's just there obviously complaining about them messing up the train and complaining he's got to work with them again. Um, on the train we see um, Matilda sort of doing some extra training with Jim West but also working with Artie and fitting themselves out with gadgets from the first movie but she's sort of adding to them and changing them. Um, the climax all happens at this gold mine in South Dakota. Um, they go to get off the train. Matilda gives Coleman a letter and they walk off towards the mine. Um, and they basically go there. They have a battle uh, to sort of work their way in. They get to the bottom. They find Barkley Moore keeping a Native American man hostage. And he's actually invented a new process to make better gasoline, better petrol and better internal combustion engines. Um, and Barkley Moore killed everyone in his family group because he wouldn't give him the invention and now he's helping him make it um they they basically they have a big fight it looks like they're about to be overrun but then a bunch of native americans arrive outside that matilda's been able to convince to come and help fight they basically take out all the bad guys and it ends um with the point that there are people who'll do anything to anyone to hold power and gain more power it shows the Lakota people particularly having to leave their homes and go on the trail of tears um, but at the end of the film West and Artie stay in contact um, Artie brings the Shakespeare troupe to Jim's town quite regularly and Matilda returns to the Secret Service and continues to be a complete badass okay very nice movie with a message always good my my first question, Drew, is if you took Gordon out of this movie, what would be different? Um, he is more a thematic. Um, he's he's there to show how his influence has been there on Matilda and Frank before her. But yeah, he's he he would just be kind of what Ross said. He'll just be there giving Will Smith a hard time and being Kevin Klein which I really enjoyed in the first film. Um, but yeah, it's 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 more Matilda's movie than either Will Smith or Kevin Klein's. Um, so I can see the comedic moments in it. Um, how much action have you got? Because of course this is a comedy action. I got, from what I see, it's a little bit at the start and then you got a small fight in the middle where Barkley tells the Matilda, uh, orders Matilda to get. Uh, yeah. And then at the end that's that's into pardon me that is entirely fair i had intended for there to be a bar fight that would show how much jim west sort of is craving danger and i i forgot to put it in so um that's fair but you you are welcome to count that against me <laughs> okay brilliant i like it let's move on to our final picture give us a bellow vk map what do you got I am bringing you today, gentlemen, WW2, that's WWII, the two eyes are both iron legs, as I introduce <laughs> Wild West II. The year is 1893 and the world is changing, but not for the better. 
The USA is gripped in an economic depression with the industrial workforce striking. Reference to the historically accurate Panic of 1893. <laughs> we open to watch such strike with the new president, Grover Cleveland, tasked with fixing the country. But this is where the movie and history begin to split. You see, my Panic of 1893 is caused by something altogether different. The fact that robots are replacing workers. <laughs> Crude, skeletal, light robots that have f- familiar limbs seen in the original 1999 movie. The country prospers whilst its people suffer. And there has to be a give. This give comes in the form of an assassination attempt on Cleveland, who is determined to move the country back to a work false with a pulse. On the surface, the assassination attempt is your typical shoot-at-the-president kind of thing, until the bullet is discovered. Which, it turns out, is a whirring contraption that, when it's dislodged from the wood, immediately heads towards the president again, striking him in the chest. Cue a Frodo-like moment as he reveals the impermeable jacket blocked the bullet. With the fancy initials A.G. sewn into the protection. But who ordered the hit? The robots were government order from the previous presidency. So who would benefit from this assassination? Time to visit some familiar faces. We're introduced to two questionable characters in a tavern. Listening to a rallying speech from a miner that's been replaced by the Iron Man. One dressed as a voluptuous woman, the other dressed as a waiter, but not in the way you would anticipate. There's some small witty talk about the wager that Artemis lost, hence he's the bag boy, before it all kicks off. The local sheriff walks into a tavern, and basically it's like a hulk, like it's just a hunk of iron, tailed by two smaller robots. The locals kick off and the undercover Western Gordon join in. Clearly Gordon's been busy as they're using all kinds of new techie weapons and armaments to take out these bots and save the workers from this evil sheriff. As the sheriff falls, there's something different about it. Under its metal hat are the initials LL. Intriguing. Western Gordon head back to the Secret Service with a new mission to uncover the identity of LL. In their pursuit, they discover more about Arliss Loveless before his uh, major injuries incurred during the Civil War. Turns out he was much of a player then as he is now, or was, should I say. Uh, there were a number of claims of him bastardizing children, but one stands out. Lily Loveless. Upon looking at the hat again, they realise what they thought was just a cheap wild mark was in fact a third L. They now know who they're looking for. Thus begins the wild hunt for a ghost. Lily has no record of residence and any sightings of her seem to lead to dead ends. Dead being the optimal word. The only reason they know they're on the right path is that Every time they get close to her, they find a body with shards of iron passing through the corpse. The two eventually finally get to witness one of these assassinations in person as they watch a chap who attended Lily only days before get shot right in front of them. They watch as the iron shards begin to enter the man's body like tiny little iron worms. 
chase time. The men see a glint of light on the hill outside the building they're in and lay chase to her on mechanical horses, another Gordon invention. Unsurprisingly, she's also on a mechanical horse and off they go across the desert. The chase culminates in Gordon using his technical prowess to outsmart Lily and they catch her. Her robot horse becomes two robot soldiers and... I don't know why I put this. And the SS are outnumbered. The Secret Service are outnumbered. <laughs> Thankfully, perseverance and ingenuity pay off as West and Gordon defeat the robots, but see Lily escaping on Gordon's horse. Or so she thinks. West is defeated. He thinks he's failed and goes to blame Gordon, who's smiling. What you smiling at? You'll see. Is Gordon's response as he flicks a switch on his pocket watch. And there is a distant wail. Jaunting over, Gordon and West see Lily lying on the ground, frizzy and flustered. The horse stood over her. Sharking is all that she can mutter as she's arrested. Once again, West and Gordon have prevailed. The president's surprised, albeit impressed, and the villain is defeated. And to be quite honest with you, that's all that my pitch is. (laughs) (laughs) So... Well done. Robots. <laughs> Many robots. Okay. Yeah. I love okay. I love that we did Total Recall when there are synths and things yeah, and fine. this whole okay. like okay. Um, like to- like robots taking over the workforce could have been a real theme yeah. and in- and causing economic inequality and instead it's come out in the western. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. So we we let's start with this then Matt. In in seven words or more, why did you take this split in history and and introduce this mad robot plot well um i i I took a bit of time looking into history of america and realized that there was the economic depression and i was thinking what could really incite you know a national depression other than war it feels kind of short i don't i don't feel there's any rest periods where the characters could kind of bond in the first film they have that night by the fire and we learn a bit more about them Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, we're introduced... My, my very first scene where we see Weston Gordon is there's a load of small talk about the fact that Gordon lost this wager and then has to be Jim West bag boy. And she and Jim West gets to be the voluptuous woman, which obviously Gordon wanted. So it carries on very much with the relationship of the first. Let's be honest with you here. We're pitching sequels to a dire film. I wasn't going to invest much too much time into creating really deep emotional connections to these characters. I'm just bringing you a sequel to a film that really doesn't necessarily deserve a sequel. Okay, lovely. All right, let's 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 open it up then for a little bit because I'm ha- I'm having a bit of trouble picking between which ones the the best of the worst so that's fair um why is go for it guys why should i pick yours because i referenced the first villain and i carry that through my sequel why should uh, i not I pick Matt? Matt's has got an interesting robot the first one's got a massive spider yeah but it's so he has no heart in this sequel look he's he's sat there and he said he didn't really bother doing it he don't care does he's he? clearly just in it for the cash he just wants to be paid 
Where's the artistic integrity? <laughs> there was still uh, artistic integrity. Hang on. I'm the only one who actually referenced the villain in the first film and carried that through its sequel. The rest of them are just like, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna look at some American history and just try and make a comedy <laughs> film about that for hey, two hours. Hey, I referenced the original uh, president in the thing. They see the portrait of the original president. They go, Yeah, that's uh, and then yeah. I, I love that I the the different approaches Matt and I took. I was like when I was trying to come up with the sequel, I was I was thinking about how an eighty foot metal tarantula that shoots fireballs and explodes buildings yeah. would fundamentally change the power balance of the country, nay the world. <laughs> and so I was like, Okay, I better put in a throwaway line that they got rid of it where Matt's just like, Yeah, fucking robots, let's go. <laughs> Uh, Andy, you should pick mine because mine has a lot of the the comedy and the relationship between them two and the old so stuff that made all the people laugh in the first one, but not the not the bad sh- not the bad shit that made people uh, maybe <laughs> laugh, but like the the, the 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 relationship between the two. And I so throw in mine. some history there as well. Uh, and you know, mine's not like about robots that Matt's is, and mine's not really like <sighs> snooze fest like Drew's. You know, everyone's just going to be asleep by the end of Drew's. So I think you should pick mine because it's better. Um, I feel like Drew Drew has an even bigger problem with his is that he uh, treads too many fine lines that I feel like myself and Ross clearly steered wide away from we haven't really introduced women into our sequel i mean actually no i have i've introduced a really strong woman as the antagonist uh ross didn't but you know we've avoided anything race-based it's not like i went oh shall i put a woman in no i don't want to put a woman in definitely not it's not like i, I just didn't and it sounds like ross my our, our first piece of merch is other going than, to be a badge that to says be... ross is a misogynist <laughs> <laughs> you know ross sees women as objects to make jim west look like a player um <laughs> drew is you know he hasn't made it a point of comedy per se but a couple of times in his pitch, he did refer to, you know, things like Lakota Massacre and Jim West being black still. You know, things that we really want to steer away from in 2021. I feel like I've given you a strong woman <laughs> without <laughs> the risk of wa- racist remarks and misogynistic I backgrounding. <laughs> I object. I'm not saying that we should steer clear of it in 2021. I am saying that it should be referenced and it should be more a part of the film. But Thank Wild you. West, I feel, is a comedy, and I feel like yeah, and there will still there will ah, still be comedy. I mean, times. I mean, I, I also mine's got a lot of comical moments. I did a thing where he, the woman says, "Hey, why don't you get a car?" And then, then he says, "I've got horsepower." Yeah, that did I get mean, a big. To be fair, he, he, did, he did say that. Yeah, it was, he did say that. And uh, but Drew had one, and he kind of brushed over it when he gave it. Like he need. You need comedy, 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 comedy. I um, had at least two funny moments. <laughs> um, I have plenty of opportunity for comedy moments. What I bring you is a pitch, not a script. We're called sequel pitch, not sequel script. I literally give you the foundations to build a fantastic sequel film. Without an end, with a never an end. Uh, I had a better end. end than you did this time, I feel, <laughs> Mr. Hobson. <laughs> oh, it's really hard because there's some good bits... The thing is, what we're looking for is a, a PG-13, family-friendly action comedy that plays on from the first... Alright, give me a second. Holy crap, was the first one a PG? 
It was oh. 12, I've seen. Oh, that's okay. PG-13. Can't on be PG. They literally had testicles in it. <laughs> it had testicles. It had testicles. <laughs> <laughs> the first five minutes, there's a woman naked in the water, and then you see Will Smith's testicles. It can't be a PG. Okay, I, I think I have a decision. Let's start with Drew. What did I like? Um, I like, yeah, the female character's got more urgency. She's not just a bum crack and an open flap. Um, <laughs> Ross, yeah, you've got clear moments of comedy, um, especially the, say, the opening with the, the bank scene or whatever. And Matt, yeah, I mean, like, considering there's a giant spider in the first one, robots aren't too much of a stretch. Okay, the winner of Sequel Pitch, episode... Anyone? Seven. Seven. Episode seven. <laughs> I'm going to go with Matt. Oh, come because, on, Because. Me. Because. Oh, whatever. I'm leaving the show. <laughs> he, Fucking Joe. Better than both Ross and Drew, he ties back the characters to the first one, including I bringing... Better than both Ross and Drew. He has a, a good female lead, um, as same as Drew, but um, Ross... Um, I say this, the giant spider from the first one, so I, I'm convinced by the robots. Um, I love that it's tied back from the first one with LL. It's it's the best of a bad situation. But Matt, you've pitched your sequel. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, guys. Uh, and I do want to say, actually, this is, this is one of the more fun pitches to listen to from you guys because I was really intrigued to see where everyone was going to go with it. I love that we all spent time researching American history. Oh my god, so because much we felt time. like yeah. we needed to tie something into it. I had to look at so many presidents that got assassinated. <laughs> I was like, I, I want an assassination in there. So I was like, okay, it can't be that time. Okay, it can't be that president. It can't be that one. I was like, oh. Yeah, so that's our winner for this week. Thank you very much. Matt Rushton, what are we going to watch well done, and discuss and pitch Such a good film week? to pick as well. Okay. Ooh. Matt might pick it. Next week. I mean, week. Mine's not, it's not on the list. That, uh, no. I, but it's on <laughs> Disney Plus. But yeah, it wasn't on the list. <laughs> I was eyeballing uh, Star on Disney Plus too. But I've decided that next week... We are going to pitch sequels to Game Night. Available oh, to watch. God, that's on gonna be Netflix. so hard. Oh my yes. god. Comedy is where Drew will fall. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good. I am not funny. However, Game Night. As as four friends here who could happily spend all night playing games together, be that video games or board games or anything in between, I expect some fantastic ideas from you, gentlemen. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. So that's it from everyone this week. Winner Matt will take us over next week. Uh, follow us on all social medias under Sequel Pitch and all good podcast sites. Um, goodbye from this week's winner, Matt Rushton. Goodbye. Goodbye from loser number one, Drew Toynbee. Uh, rootin' tootin', see you later. And goodbye from loser number two, Ross Harmston. Will Smith's testicles. <laughs> <laughs> Labelling the other people losers number one and two is needlessly inflammatory. <laughs> yeah. I'm head cowboy Andy Henry. Thank you for listening. We will see you next week. This is the last time you're ever going to host. <laughs> <laughs>